Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Motivation Mindset, your award-winning productivity podcast. I'm your host, Risa Williams, a book author and therapist, and today on the show, we have a special segment called The Creative Toolkit. I'm joined by two guest co-hosts, Miguel Chavez, a TV actor and director, and Mike Sonskin, a professor and poet. And we'll be sharing our favorite tools to help you get more inspired and get more creative in everyday life. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Today, we have a special episode called The Creative Toolkit. And I'm here with Miguel Chavez, a TV actor and director, and Mike Sonskin, a writer, poet, and professor. So I'm going to start with Miguel. Miguel, what tools do you have to share today to help people feel more creative? Hi, Ari. So the first tool I have is called The Purge. So it's counterintuitive, and I learned this from a coach that helps people train for like a Navy SEAL intense sort of physical event and just like go through what you don't want to experience mentally. So go through that phase where you feel like you want to quit. Go through that phase where you feel like, oh, no, I suck at this. And that applies to everything. And I use that with my writing. So I feel that experience of, oh, you know what? I want to quit my writing right now. Or I want to quit doing this. Or you know what? I feel terrible. So I make myself go through that. So when it actually happens, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm not making it as important as I would normally make it when I'm going through like a negative spiral. That just yeah. with that process. I hope that makes sense. So it kind of reduces the emotional impact of feeling it later. So I like what you're saying, because often we use mental rehearsal, especially in when I'm coaching or doing therapy, I'm using mental rehearsal in a positive way, like we're picturing positive places we want to go. But this is one way to train your brain to predict, first of all, get really honest with yourself. Like when I'm writing, I tend to hit roadblocks sometimes, right? So it's first admitting to yourself and like accepting that. That the creative process will not magically always go so smoothly. And then you're saying, in order to help me navigate those roadblocks, why don't I picture them when I'm in a good frame of mind now? And then kind of ask my brain how I would solve that problem in the future. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and it just, um, I think also it just gives, from my experience, just gives me more compassion and doesn't make me think so doom and gloom like, you know, I think you told me once we think in black and white. Yeah. And I, and I would go into straight into, oh, this is horrible. It's never going to work. Oh, no, it's just a phase. Right. It's all yeah. part of the creative process. It's all part of it. Yeah. Okay. So you're trying to write a script, let's say. Right. Yeah. And there's always a part of writing where things are flowing and it's coming easily. And then most of us as writers will hit a part that seems very difficult. Suddenly the ideas are not flowing. We're stuck. And that's when we start piling on the self-talk that's, I'm the worst at this. I should just quit. The script isn't working. The scene isn't working. What am I doing? What happens is I uh, I get those feelings. Then um, what would happen is I get like really upset. But you know what the tool, like one thing I would do is like on a separate Word doc, like before I write or at some point in the writing process, I literally write out all that negative space from a good space, quote unquote, right? So I'm in a healthy right. place. I just write, you know, I just feel like crap today. I'm not writing well. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I write it out. I let it out. And then when that moment comes where I'm like feeling like crap, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going through it. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Well, you're like, I remember this because I rehearsed it. It's yeah, not new and scary and like throwing yeah. me off track. Okay. So your process would be before you even start writing the script, you would sit there and picture this point at which you get yeah. stuck. And in that way, we're practicing 
how we will navigate getting out of it. Or even then, like a variation of that, like I would write like a dear letter to myself or if like a mentoring or mentor is helping me is like, dear Miguel, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. You know, why am I writing? <laughs> I feel terrible. So a variation of, of that, just confronting the failure and confronting those feelings. And then when it happens, it's not so big of a deal. Right. So you do a version of that where you're accepting it, where you're yeah. just going right into it. I want to quit. This is too hard. Why did I ever start writing yeah. the script? So months later, when you're at that point of the script, you're like, oh, yeah, this is my process. This happens every time. Yeah, and I always oh, totally. get through it. Yeah, because in my head, I just want to be perfect. I feel like I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm not supposed to feel these feelings, right? But especially if you've been in the self-help world for a long time, like a, a pitfall is thinking you have to always be positive. <laughs> but ironically, that's not positive. So like self-help 2.0 is like understanding that what you resist persists. So I'm not going to resist it. There's a concept called radical acceptance, which you'll hear therapists right. talk about a lot, which is that we embrace these. We don't think that life is going to be like one happy success after another, we kind of embrace the waves of feeling as they come. And it's a way of showing compassion to ourselves along the way. Absolutely. And often, for some reason, when people undertake a creative process, some of those really harsh feelings and inner critic things come out. It, it somehow triggers that. You know, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Why does the creative process sometimes stir that side of ourselves up? Is it because we're being brave and maybe putting ourselves out there and we're a little more vulnerable that we're stirring that critic up so much? I want to echo Miguel's sentiments because I've I've done what he's talking about. Oh, wow. And I've done it in a lot of different moments. And, I, and I've mostly done it about three in the morning when I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep. Yeah, because something's bugging you or something's just, eating away at you, you know. And I sort of discovered it accidentally. A few moments in a real, you know, dark night of the soul period of my life, I I would write out just pages and pages and pages in my notebook. And and then fairly often, an hour or two later, I could go back to sleep. Uh-huh. And and it really worked for me. And I mean, but I had I had some real intense insomnia. Growing up, I, I did my best to mostly be positive. And so there was a time probably through my 20s and 30s where I was just trying to always be positive. But it took me well into my 30s to realize that, you know what? Life isn't always positive, but that's okay. And as I'm, as my man Thich Nhat Hanh says, no, no mud, no lotus. Yeah. You know, like you can't become something great. You can't do great work. I mean, that's one of the ma- major tenets of Buddhism, right? Uh you cannot really grow and evolve unless you face everything and use it as fertilizer, use it as compost, use it as a source of strength and growth. And so to face your deepest, darkest fears and to look them directly in the eye neutralizes them. Yeah. And and it took me well into adulthood to even learn how to do that. But um, well, and I sometimes started- navigating that contrast and those intense emotions actually makes us create better art because oh. we're going to depths in ourselves and processing things. Maybe it changes what we're creating as well. It's a lot more grounded. It's, it's a lot more grounded. It's a lot yeah. more rooted. It, it's, it's going to connect to more people because the truth be told, who hasn't gone through very hard times and right. even people, you, even people you think that haven't gone through them have. And what really depends is how we use them. And so I love what Miguel had said. And I think, you know, the self-doubt, we all do go through it, but 
you have to have trust. You have to trust the process, and you have to believe in what you're doing. And what I what's what I find is always pulls me out of the, the self doubt, though I feel it plenty as much as anybody else, is trying to remember the higher purpose. Like, okay, well, if I'm writing this piece, this isn't about me. It's about this subject. That's this important subject that can help other people. Right. And 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 those types of intentions and that type of intentionality. I think neutralizes the self-doubt and you know gets us out of our own head a little bit. I mean, we're all in our own head a lot. I mean, it's 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 a product of this time period. And I mean, I right. think probably maybe even since the beginning of man, you know, since the beginning of, of humanity, people are, are self-centered in a lot of ways. Thinking of a bigger picture of a higher purpose, how you can serve, that type of of thinking, you know, kind of jettisons you out of it, it it helps you. It gives you that motivational boost to get on the path again, right? To the end goal. And that's going back to your intention. Like, why did you sit down to write this script? Or why did you sit down to paint this picture? Yeah. Tell the story. There was something you wanted to communicate to other people to possibly help them in some way or expose something or talk about some subject. And when you go back to that purpose, it kind of gets you the courage to navigate those blips that pop up of self-doubt of, you know, why am I doing this or existential crisis that you're having on the way Mm -hmm. to the end goal. I always come back to Carl Jung who said, you know, the goal wasn't to be perfect. The goal is to be complete. And, you know, the more complete Mm -hmm. you can be, the more you can be grounded, the more you can account for everything, the more solid whatever you're going to create is. And and you're gonna you have you're gonna have thought through all the different angles of it, all the different perspectives. And and it's true. When you when you've already interrogated yourself, when when the other people come for you, you're like, I'm already here. Let's let's go. <laughs> right. Know? And the more we practice this process, the stronger we get at navigating it next time. So you're mm-hmm. building this muscle of yes, my fear is popping up. Yes, I'm starting to get too lost in my own head or imagining what people are going to say or feeling like, you know, I'm failing myself or something. But the more mm-hmm. we just go through it and embrace it and say, this is part of the process. In essence, we're exercising that muscle so that the next time we hit that, it's not as scary like Miguel says. We're understanding, okay, this is part of my process. And maybe those blips of time get shorter and shorter with each Mm -hmm. project as you go forward. I can believe in my ability to figure it out. So I like what you both are saying. That mental rehearsal makes us stronger. Our brains don't know we're not going through it right now when we're mentally rehearsing it. So in a way, you're training your brain like, oh, I'm feeling the stress. I'm feeling like a failure. I'm feeling all this self-doubt. But I can get to the other side so that we're shortening that processing time for ourselves Mm -hmm. for the next time, making us ourselves get on track a little bit faster each time. All right. So thank you for that, Miguel. Mike, let's go to your tool. What tool did you have for us today? You know, there's always, I always come back to journaling. And I I know I did that the first time I was on your podcast, but a few things. Um. Also, I know this goes without saying, and this is something everybody already probably does, but one of the things I do first when in doubt is just read. You know, when I'm really cooking, it's two, three books a week, you know, depending on what's happening. Sometimes I can't read as much as I, but I, you know, I I love reading. Reading is, reading is one of my most go-to things ever. You know, you got to kind of fill yourself up. I say, if you ever got writer's, writer's block or creative, I either take a city drive, I go somewhere to a cool museum or a park or a hike with my family or something or read. But um, also, every single day I write five haiku, 
And I've been doing that since 2016. And the idea is, if I write five haiku every day at the end of the year, it's like 1,700 haiku. <laughs> yeah, and, it's and a even, lot. It adds if, up. Sometimes my five haiku are just, I'm at the dentist office with my daughter, you know, and I'm, and I'm, you know, and I'm uh, waiting for her to get out of, you know, so I, I write a haiku about what I got to do that day. And, and sometimes they're, sometimes they're really good. And sometimes they're just first Cal State Northridge, then home for a brief pit stop, Golden West College. Lonnie Liston Smith, cosmic spiritual funk, Donnie Hathaway. You know, I mean, right. just, you know, having, having fun with it. Um, but so the kind of like enjoying your own wordplay a little bit. I mean, you're a poet, so this comes naturally to you. But for people out there who have never tried poetry, could you explain exactly what a haiku is and how they can get started with maybe seeing it in a looser, lighter way where they don't have well, to know, take haiku, it so seriously? You haiku know? are, you know, seven, eight hundred years old from Japan, and mm -hmm. uh, they were initially written in nature. And they were often, they were written. Yeah. Five, the first line has five syllables. The second line has seven syllables. And the third line has five syllables, five, seven, five. So it's yeah. a 17 syllable poem. Um, yeah. But the haiku was, was affiliated with Zen Buddhism, but there's plenty of secular haiku poets. It's not all, it does, it's not always spiritual. But um, in Japan, it was usually about nature. And there was something called the season. There was a season word and there was a cutting word. And generally between the second and the third line, there's like a turn. There's a there's a, a point, they call it the cutting word, where it sh shifts. It's almost like the third line could almost, could almost even be like the punchline to a joke. I had been writing haiku on and off since the 90s. I think I had a teacher that showed me them in, in elementary school in the late 80s when I was a kid, you know? I mean, so I've been writing haiku over 30 years. But um, I, I'm going to give my man Ruben credit because about 10 years ago, I read Ruben's cycle of haiku and he kind of showed me that they can be informal, that they don't have to be, they don't have to be about nature. They don't have to be perfect. We don't have to see these things as so heavy. Sometimes when we think about creative projects or even just writing a poem, we tend to get really heavy and put a lot of pressure on ourselves. But doing quick ones in your head, it's almost like a crossword puzzle or other types of brain games you can play. If you can get really playful with it, like Mike is saying, it's about output. It's about doing it so much that that muscle builds. And then you can just sit down and the ideas start flowing to you. You're almost opening up you know, a pathway to the unconscious parts of your brain or the subconscious parts of your brain that can come out then. You know, uh, have you guys heard of a book called uh, Big Magic? I believe that's the title of it. By <laughs> Gilbert. Um, yeah, she wrote Eat, Pray, and Love. You know, Julia Roberts did a movie. I like her. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's great. Uh, in her, like, introduction, she she wrote how, you know, before maybe the Renaissance or in a different time in humanity, people would write or be creative, but they would always um, praise the gods for them helping them be creative. But then at, at some certain point, this is this was like our, in a sense, eating the apple, yeah. right? That kind of became our creative downfall was um, at some certain point, like maybe in the Renaissance, like we took full responsibility for our creativity. 
Right. She talks there. about that in her TED Talk, too. So for oh, those yeah. of you listening, she has a famous TED Talk just yeah. about that, yeah, about how artists started putting way too much pressure on themselves to be like a exactly. god and create exactly. this magic, right? Exactly. Instead of just believing that there was always a part of them that was accessing ideas from the collective subconscious, so yeah. to speak, right? And we were just... Exactly. We were channeling it instead of we were creating yeah. it. Yeah. And that's what I want to mention. Like, I think it goes to your to your point you were saying earlier. Like, you know, and I and I've been there where I'm like, this has to be brilliant. It has to be X, Y, and Z. And now I'm in a place where I definitely get into that headspace, but I'm like, I'm allowing it to come to me. Like it's coming through me. I, I, there was this quote yeah. that says, Oh, I forgot how this quote goes. I'm gonna butcher it, but like one of the this one of the phases is it comes I make it happen. That's ego, but like the final stage, it comes through me. I allow it to come through me. I love that. That's the final yeah. stage. And can we give ourselves space to just allow whatever's coming through us to come through us? And it all goes back to that radical acceptance idea. Whatever I put on the page is okay. Like I accept it. I accept it in whatever form it's coming out. Mm. So again, it goes back to, can we lighten up a little bit? Can we allow (laughs) ourselves to be loose and light when (laughs) we're playing with fun things? If you think about when you're kids, it just came naturally. Like you didn't really think about the yeah. outcome of the sandcastle you were building. You're like, oh, here's some sand. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to do it. Let's see what happens. And there was more of a silliness and a playfulness. And mm-hmm. we take things so hard when we're adults, you know? So I think just all these ideas are so great for shifting out of that hardness, that harshness, and getting back into the playfulness that makes us want to be creative. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining me today. And I hope everyone out there will try both of these tools, the purge and the haiku, and hopefully it'll help you navigate getting creative in an easier way. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again, Risa. Thank you so much. Great to see you, Miguel. Great to see you, Mike. If you're enjoying tools discussed on the show, please visit risawilliams.com and click on podcast. There you can learn about books, upcoming episodes, and future special segments of the show. You can also follow me at Risa Williams Therapy for contests and book giveaways. I'm Risa Williams, and we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.